Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area now joe listen lately on you know youtube and social media i've been seeing a lot of conversations about protestants and catholics which I don't know whether to take that as a good thing or a bad thing. Well, that's why we're welcoming back to the program, John Martignoni. Uh, and we're going to be discussing a blue-collar answer to Protestantism. All right. Now, I'm going to say right off the bat, John and Joe, um, I have my issues with Protestants. I really do. I think there's a certain obstinance there, but I'm open-minded. John, please, if I say anything that I need correcting on, which I'm sure I will, um, yeah. please do so. But John Martignoni, our good friend, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. It's good to be here with you guys. I, I appreciate the invite and I enjoy being on with you. Absolutely. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with John, which I couldn't for the life of me think why you wouldn't be. However, John Martignoni is the founder and president of Bible Christian Society, an apologetics and evangelization, evangelization apostolate that reaches hundreds of thousands of people each year across the United States and throughout the world with the truths of the Catholic faith. For 17 years, he hosted EWTN Radio's Open Line, which was heard on hundreds of stations around the country. He founded and has run Catholic radio stations in Alabama. His regular e-newsletter, Apologetics for the Masses, has more than 60,000 subscribers in all 50 states and in more than 80 countries in the world. He's currently the Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Birmingham in Alabama. I know that was a little bit lengthy, but I just wanted to let everybody know that. John, again, welcome back. Joe, with that, I'm going to hand it over to you. John, we always start with a prayer to Our Lady in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, our most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Joe, well, John, let, me, okay, Joe let me say one thing real quick, okay? So everybody knows the book, uh, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism, that is available at Sophia Press. We encourage you to go out, out there and buy it. And I just want to say this. You know, Saint, I, I forgot, John, you could correct me if, if, whether it was Paul or Peter that said we have to be ready to give a defense of our faith. Um, and that's why we're glad that you're here, because I think and again, from a blue collar point of view, you know, your title of your book is not arbitrary. Joe and I, you know, we're regular guys, John. You know, we're shoot from the hip when it comes to our faith. So I'm glad you're here because you could put a lot of this in. Again, there's nothing wrong with apologetics on a more intellectual level. But I like the fact that this is a blue-collar conversation. So uh, with that, Joe, I'm sorry to have cut you off. Uh, no, it's okay. We could John, jump right I'll, in. I'll mm -hmm. be honest. I mean, we talk to a lot of people. Um, I think you're one of the most effective in what you do, honestly, because you speak in a very regular way. 
um, and you're a very smart guy. Uh, but that's important because we forget that Jesus was a blue-collar guy. The 12 guys that he founded were blue-collar guys, and most of the people in the pews are regular people. I think people forget that, and I'll be honest, and then I'll turn it over. I mean, I sometimes, like, we split hairs. People go nuts on social media. They argue about all these things. Most people aren't reading encyclicals. Most people, frankly, are just normal people going through the motions of life. They go to church, and they're going to relate to the average guy talking like them, and you do that. So please talk about the book itself, why you wrote it, and why it's important. Well, uh, a blue-collar answer to Protestantism is a follow-up on my first book, Blue-Collar Apologetics. And, and as you guys have been saying, blue-collar is the average guy. I, I associate the, the phrase blue-collar with the phrase common sense, okay? If you're a blue-collar worker, you have to have common sense. Plumbers, uh, working on the factory line, you know, auto mechanics, you have to have common sense. And that's what everything I do is based on. It's it's common sense and simple logic. And and yeah, when I talk to Protestants, I throw in some of the Bible too, but it's mostly based on what I do is mostly based on common sense. And and it's it's something that I mean, I have moms tell me their nine-year-olds have used my stuff, but then I've got great grandmas telling me they've used my stuff. I've got uh, PhDs in math and chemistry, and they use my stuff. So this is for everybody. This is for the, any and every Catholic out there in the pew, because when it comes to the Catholic faith, even people with PhDs in math or physics or chemistry or whatever, they don't necessarily know a whole lot about their faith. So they need it on a common sense level, on a way that they can understand it, digest it, you know, I get people ask me all the time, how do I become a Catholic apologist? Do I need to get a degree in theology? And I say, no, you don't. Now, I'm not going to say a degree in theology is bad, but people with degrees in theology and master's degrees and such, a lot of them make horrible apologists because it's, it's like you were saying, Joe, that, you know, you start splitting hairs and you start bringing in all these technical terms and these high fluting words and people are like, gummit, what's he talking about, you know? And, and it doesn't do any good. But the average Catholic talking to the average Protestant, you don't need a degree in theology. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. A little common sense, little logic, some knowledge of the Bible helps. And as you do more apologetics, you'll gain more knowledge of the Bible. But I tell people Protestantism, where it differs from Catholicism, is this thin. It, it's razor thin theology. You don't need deep dives. You just need to just get right below the surface. And you can do that with one or two questions. And the whole purpose of what I do is not to say, oh, Catholics are right. Protestants are wrong. We're right. You're wrong. Or I'm right. You're wrong. It's what is the truth? Let's search for the truth. And by making the Protestant dive a little bit, just a little bit beneath the surface of their theology, you're making them think about what they believe and why they believe it in a way that they have probably never done before. And that plants seeds with people. When you make them stop and think, because if you if you see a common, the, the common conversation between a Catholic and a Protestant, what's going on? 
The Protestant is just bombing the Catholic with question after question. Where in the Bible is infant baptism? Where in the Bible does it say Mary was immaculately conceived? Why do you confess your sins to a priest? He's just a man. Why don't you go straight to God? And the Catholic's just like, uh, uh, he's on his heels. He's backpedaling. Uh, well, uh, uh, I changed that whole dynamic. I turned the whole thing around with blue collar apologetics. I, I teach Catholics first how to answer those questions, what to do, give them just simple strategies, not, not memorizing the Bible, but simple common sense strategies, how to answer those questions, and then how to immediately turn it around and, and go on the offensive. I call it being offensive without being offensive. And, and that's the gist of what I do and how I do it. And it's out there, any and every Catholic, like I said, if you've got a sixth grade education, or sometimes even less than that, you can easily understand, not just understand what I do, but apply it and use it in your own lives. John Martignoni is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book. We have to be equipped to be able to defend our faith, and we're all regular people. Everybody out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, a blue-collar answer to Protestantism that is available at Sophia Press. John, I don't want to be too, too long-winded, but let me put it like this to you, okay, because I need your help, brother, all right? <laughs> See, to me, I look at it this way. If I'm arguing or having a conversation, let me put it like that, with an atheist, and they start with them, Jesus, it's impossible for a man to be raised from the dead, and they start getting into all these things. And I say, okay, I believe in two fundamental principles, okay, that are, 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 are so totally defensible. One is the belief that God created the universe out of nothing, and the other that after three days in the tomb, after being crucified and killed, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's the philosophical argument for the existence of God. There's the evidence that points to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm just giving you a little foundation of where I'm going. Okay. Now, when I argue with a Protestant, or if I'm going to have a conversation with a Protestant, I'm not getting into Mary. I'm not getting into purgatory. I'm not getting into the papacy. Here's my thing, and I, and I need you to help me, brother. All right? We are one. You are not. Under no certain, uh, and no possible universe is Protestantism one. The Catholic Church, although we deal with dissidents, is still one holy Catholic and apostolic. And according to the Bible, Jesus prayed to the Father that we all be one as he and the Father are one. Protestantism simply rejects that prayer. The Catholic Church does not because the church is the church teaching is one. Tell me where I'm wrong, John. Tell me if that's a fundamental to approach Protestants because if it because to me that's the first hurdle that Protestants have to get over. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100%. That is a, a very effective tactic or strategy to use because you're exactly right. The church is one. Jesus prayed to the Father at the Last Supper that we, his disciples, may be one, and this is what I, I make sure you use these words, that he, that we be one as he and the Father are one. So what I do is I ask, I'll ask a Baptist, uh, I'll say, you know, or, or an evangelical or Church of Christ, whoever, I'll say, like you said, are you guys one? Well, we agree on the fundamentals. You know, or we agree on the essentials and we disagree on the non-essentials. And I'll say, okay, what's a non-essential? Well, like infant baptism. I say, okay, well then, then I'll say, go to to John sixteen seventeen. It says right here. It says, Jesus prayed that we be one, as He and the Father are one. 
are you guys one like that? Well, you know, I said, no, no. Do Jesus and the Father disagree on infant baptism? A non-essential doctrine, as you put it. Do they disagree on infant baptism? Do they disagree on when the rapture occurs? Is it uh, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? Do they disagree on if there is a rapture or not? Do they agree or disagree on that? You know, Jesus and the Father agree on every single doctrine, whether you call it essential or non-essential, which that's a whole nother argument. Where in the Bible is there such a thing as a non-essential doctrine? So, yes. So what you're doing, basically what you're getting at, what I tell people, the fundamental principle, the fundamental difference behind every single difference in Catholic and Protestant theology or in every single conversation or dialogue or argument between Catholic and Protestant, the fundamental principle has to do with authority. Who has the right to make the decision as to who is right or wrong? Does each Protestant or each Christian have the right to pick up the Bible, read it by themselves, with answering to no outside authority other than how they believe the Holy Spirit is leading them, you know, to decide doctrine and dogma? Or does the church founded by Jesus Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit have the right to decide doctrine and dogma? That's the fundamental principle. And basically what you were doing is you were getting right at that principle. Well, that's the thing, John. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. It's like sometimes you don't need to start. I mean, okay, if you want to have, you know, pour a scotch, light a cigar, sit down with your Protestant friend and start, you know, you know, have at it for a few hours. You can talk about Mary and purgatory. But again, there are certain first things, first principles that you have to get over. Sola Scriptura is another one. In other words, when they say, well, Okay, you know, like, like uh, I'll, I'll say to a Protestant, they get mad at me. I'm not going to lie, John, when I say, well, where did you get the Bible? First of all, I, they say, well, that's not in Scripture. Good. Okay, fine. Wonderful. That's great for you, but I don't believe everything has to be in Scripture. But then I say, well, where did you get Scripture? You got it from the Catholic Church. So like the atheists stole the scientific method from the Catholic Church, you guys stole the Bible from the Catholic Church, and you claimed it for yourself. John, I could go on a long time. I don't want the vein to pop out of my head. I'm gonna... <laughs> no, but, but Joe, you're absolutely right, because... The thing is, is whatever question, I let the Protestants start wherever they want to start. If they want to start with Mary, I'll start with Mary. They want to start with confession or, 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 or the Pope or purgatory. I'll let them start there and I will respond to their question. But this is the mistake a lot of Catholics make. Someone will ask you about purgatory and you start to give them, you know, like a master's thesis on purgatory. You don't have to do that. Just a few sentences. And then turn it around and say, by the way, you know, you believe in sola scriptura, right? Oh, absolutely. Where did the Bible come from? And now you've just turned it, you've gone offensive instead of being defensive. And now you're trying to get really at the question of who has the authority here? Whose authority is it? You know, you say you go by the Bible. Well, why? Why should, how do you know the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God? Here, a question I always ask Protestants. You go by the Bible and the Bible alone, right? Absolutely. Do you believe the gospel of Mark is the inspired and errant word of God? Oh, 100%. Where does the Bible tell you that? How do you know that? Give me book, chapter, and verse. 
They can't do it because nowhere in the Bible does it say the gospel of Mark is the inspired and errant word of God. Well, that's why, John, I'm, we're glad we, that you're on the show because you use the proper two words, I think. Common sense. Sometimes, yeah. many times, you don't need to go beyond that. I do, I'm do. i going to hand it over to Joe, but I do believe that many times, unfortunately, rightfully, Protestants don't think we know what we're talking about. And many times they come up on Catholics who don't know what they're talking about. That's why people need to go out buy your book, okay? A blue-collar response to Protestantism available at Sophia Press, so then we could do that. Joe Resinello. You talked about a lot of authority. I've used that. Um, you talked about the Bible. The church existed 400 years without a Bible. We could go through that. Um, but this is where I'm going to go, and I'm interested in your comments. We both live in different regions of the world. Here, people leave the Catholic Church, but most people started in it because it's an ethnic area, the Northeast. Most people right. come from like Ireland, Italy, Germany, Poland, Philippines, and they have Catholic backgrounds. What usually happens is people come here poor, they make money, they become Episcopalian. That's usually the route. <laughs> like you know, in sorry, the South, John. in the South, it's a little different. You know, like <laughs> Catholics, there are pockets, especially in Louisiana, southern Louisiana, below Route 10. But for the most part, it's not a Catholic region of America. It's just a fact. It's just the way people where they settle. Why I say that is this. When people have a problem with the church, and a priest told me this, and I've thought about this, and I've said this many times on the show, it's and they make a million excuses. Usually the million excuses isn't their problem. It's one underlying problem, and it doesn't matter about the arguments. It doesn't matter about the logic. They have a problem or a wound. For instance, I got divorced, and I got remarried, and I know it's wrong. So I'm not going to be Catholic because they don't accept me or I contracept and I know it's wrong. So I can't be Catholic. I'm trying to be true to myself so I can't do it. Talk about that because I'll be honest with you. Joe and I know the faith and I could talk a good game. You know what I mean? If people want to get down to br brass tacks about what the church teaches, what it doesn't teach, the misconceptions. But sometimes it doesn't penetrate because we're dealing with a wound. We're dealing with something they're not talking about. And I think we have to touch that. We have to get to that. And when we do, then the mind opens. Your thoughts? I agree 100%. I'll give you an example. I was on a uh, – uh, the local show that – Catholics are 3 to 4% of the population in Alabama. And there are a number of, of radio talk shows in Alabama – where they're just dominated by Protestant, particularly evangelical Protestants. And they are not friends of the Catholic Church for the most part. And so there was this one show where somebody called me, said, John, they're talking about the Catholic Church. Can you call in and do something? You know, because I'm kind of like the go-to guy for a lot of folks when something anti-Catholic is happening. So I call in, I'm talking, and it's a it's a male and a female doing the show on the radio. And the woman says at one point, she says, well, I grew up Catholic, which I'm like, OK, here it, here it comes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so so that means she knows everything there is to know about the Catholic Church, even though she left when she was in high school, I think 10th or 11th grade. And she said the priest did this to my mom and and my mom, my dad was beating my mom and the priest took my dad's side or, or it's something along those lines. So, like I said, there's an emotional wound there. 
So I, 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 all I did was I said, look, if that's what happened, then that priest was wrong to not give your mother the physical and spiritual comfort that she needed at that time. And as a Catholic, we, we believe in the communion of saints and that we're, the, you know, the church is the body of Christ. So as a member of the body of Christ of the Catholic church, I want to extend my apology to you and to your mother for what that priest did and for him not doing what he should have done. I am truly, truly sorry for that, for all the hurt that it caused your mother, for all the hurt that it caused you. And I wish that hadn't happened, but unfortunately, our priests are human beings and they simply are not perfect. Her whole demeanor changed. I mean, like that. Mm-hmm. She, she's, I've never had anybody say that to me before. And, and, I, and I wasn't saying it just to say it. I meant it. You know, you, you, like you said, Joe, you have to, the wounds have to heal. You can have the absolutely best, most brilliant, most subtle, most logical, commonsensical arguments in the world. And if that person, like, like you said, well, I got divorced, you know, my wife was this, or, or my husband was beating me, or he was an alcoholic or something, and I got remarried, and the church wouldn't, you know, recognize my marriage, and so I left. Well, you've got to deal with that. You know, before you can get to, all right, now let's talk about why you need to be back in the church. Well, let's let's heal, let's start healing some of these wounds first and, and say, all right, you know, if you need to apologize, if they're saying the priest did something wrong or the bishop did something, whether the priest or bishop actually did, you don't know. But if they did, I'm sorry. I am truly, truly sorry. And, and I wish that had not happened. But are you, you know, a- after you kind of get over the initial hump, would you let someone, anyone, keep you from Jesus Christ? You know, and they're going to say no. Mm-hmm. All the time they're going to say, no, I'm not going to let it. Well, if the Catholic Church is true in what it teaches, that's what's happening here. You You don't realize it. But you're letting that priest or that bishop or that deacon or whoever, you're letting them keep you from Jesus Christ. And let's talk about that. You know, and so you're absolutely right. You, you have to deal with heart issues when they're there as much and quite often more than you deal with head issues. I, I, I want a quick comment on, on what both of you said. John, I'm so happy you said that. If you're just joining us here, John Martignoni joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, a blue-collar response to Protestantism. I love what you said, John, about trying to, to you know, to show that empathy with somebody, uh, to, to, to put yourself in their shoes, to understand. I went through it with my father. I wasn't as Catholic when my father was, was alive, so I would have probably told him or tried to help him in that way. My father did not like priests. My father grew up in the 1940s, and he he disliked priests because he would get beaten up by the priest and then dragged to my grandmother, and then she would beat him up. Um, and then, you know, and and way my father used to put it, and then I'd see the priest, you know, drinking scotch in the rectory. Like, like it, it bothered him, you know. Um, so I get it, and I would have talked to him the way you were you you spoke to to that to those people. But Joe makes a good point, okay? Um, and 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 I do think some people do use the excuse of uh, uh the 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 abuse the abuse crisis 
um, other things that have happened in the church to leave the church for their own selfish reasons. And I'm not going to mention names. I'm not going to detract from anybody. But, you know, there's a famous talk show host out there. Oh, I left the Catholic Church. And about three months later, he's divorced from his wife of 20 years. Or, or, or a, 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 a member of the House of Representatives who said, I grew up Catholic, but I left the church. And now you find out she's getting divorced from her husband. It's like, it's almost like, let me leave the church, blame the church, so I could go out and get divorced or something else. John, nothing bothers me more than that. At least be honest. You don't want to be in the church because you want to get divorced. How do you address that? Well, it's if someone is obstinate in, in their sin. And, and what I tell them, I said, look, your argument is not with the Catholic Church. It is with Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew 19. Jesus says, a man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. All the church is doing is saying what Jesus said. You know, or, or John the Baptist told Herod, that's actually not your wife. Even though Herod was legally married to his brother's ex-wife, John the Baptist is saying, that's not your wife. That's basically what the church is saying. Why? Because Herod was an adulterer. The woman, his wife, was an adulterer. They were committing adultery. So John the Baptist saying that is not a marriage in the eyes of God. That's all the church is saying. So you just the first thing I do is try to deflect. I say, look, you don't have any argument with the Catholic Church. Your argument's with Jesus, which kind of, in some cases, it'll stop them in their tracks, you know, because, no, it's the Catholic Church is the bad. No, 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 no. Jesus is the bad guy here. He's the one saying you can't divorce and remarry, you know, and that that is adultery, you know, major sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So that's the first thing I do. But I, I mean, if they're just obstinate in their sin, they don't care, and they're just using it as, as an excuse. A lot of time, all you can do is just put it out, just matter of factly, this is the situation you're in. You know, one of, one of the uh, spiritual works of mercy is uh, admonishing the sinner and you just tell them i mean in our culture today the only mortal sin just about is to tell somebody they're wrong mm. okay that everything else goes but no you can't tell somebody they're wrong unless they're catholic then you can tell them they're wrong on everything sure but, but uh so you just lay it out say listen according to matthew 19 and jesus christ you have divorced and you have married another and Jesus says that is adultery. I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. If you want to blame the church for you committing adultery, you go right ahead. But there's going to come a time where you're going to stand before the throne of God and you're going to have to give an account of your life. And so just think about that because the church is trying to help you recognize the fact that you are in sin. And yeah. if you're good with that, that's, that's on you. You know, but that's the situation. I'm, I'm dealing right now with a relatively famous anti-Catholic Protestant apologist. I'm doing a newsletter where he and I are having an exchange right now in my newsletter. <laughs> Excuse me. Somebody sent me something, and I won't mention his name, but somebody sent me something, public records from the state of Texas where this guy lives, showing that he was divorced in 1982 and remarried in 1984. I go to the guy's website. He says, I left the Catholic Church in 1984. Hmm. You know, like, 
Coincidence? <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah. And he hates the Catholic. I mean, hates he he so much that he lies. I mean, I mean, I pointed out to him before, you are lying about this because I've told you this is what's true. I've given you the places to look it up that, that no, the church does not teach that. It teaches this. You keep saying, no, 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 it teaches this. And you're a liar and a hypocrite. And it's I'm I'm now I understand. Okay. He got divorced and got remarried. John, let's take a break real quick. Uh, John, where's your website and where could folks buy the book, A Blue Collar Response to Protestantism? BibleChristianSociety.com is the website, BibleChristianSociety.com. The book is A Blue Collar Answer, which you're close to Protestantism. You can get it at SophiaInstitute.com, SophiaInstitute.com. And we always encourage our audience members, please support our Catholic publishers as well as our Catholic authors. John, this is a great conversation. An hour is way too short. However, we're going to attempt it after the break. So stick around here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We have John Martignoni, and we're going to keep talking about a blue-collar answer to Protestantism. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with John Martignoni. We're discussing his new book, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism, available at Sophia Press. Joe Resinello. John, I want to throw this one at you. I think you'll find it interesting. Um, I had a friend who left the Catholic Church. He went to, like, one of those, like, Bible chapels. I think they were brethren, I think. I, I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, uh, he invited me to go. So I went there to basically witness to the Catholic faith. And I, I can't say that I converted anyone, but I do think they respected me because I did have answers. And this was one exchange that I had, and I, I'm interested in what you have to say. Older gentleman, Bill, nice guy. He would hand out tracks at the train station. He was a former Catholic, super, super, super nice guy. So he's saying, you know, about Sola Scriptura, talking about it and, and talking about once saved, always saved. So I was like, Bill, that's not in the Bible. You talk about Sola Scriptura, but once saved, always saved. That Bible in your hand doesn't say that. No, 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 no. I said, Bill, I'll tell you what. Next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick verses out of that Bible that's in your hand and show you that that does not apply. Okay, so I did. Talk about Matthew, the goats and the sheep. Talk about Paul. Uh, you have to work out your salvation. I had a front and back. I slid it all across the table to Bill. John, my hand up. He pushed that away like it was a plate of you, you know what. He pushed it away as if I was like saying something. It was from the Bible. He couldn't look at it. He wouldn't look at it. And he pushed it away from me. Your response to that. Well, that's not a uh, not a response that is uncommon. I had a, I was debating once a, a a preacher in the Church of Christ, 
And the way I do my my uh, questions when I ask people, I generally ask yes or no questions, and, and basing it on scripture or common sense, whatever. And no matter what they answer, yes or no, they've got a problem. Because if they answer one way, well, now they're going to go contrary to scripture. If they answer the other way, they're going to go contrary to their own theology. So when I ask my question, somebody is put into a corner. Well, I asked this guy a question, this preacher, he's, he's a NASA computer scientist, okay? Ask him a question. He responded, and I asked my follow-up question, which, okay, dude, you're in a bind now. No matter which way you answer, I'm showing you that your theology is either contrary to Scripture or Scripture is contrary to your theology, one way or the other. And, and he just sat there looking at me. I said, I said, you're in a logical bind, Pat. You can't get out of it. He looked at me, this NASA computer scientist, he said, logic has nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> what the wait, 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 based on everything you're saying, John, what would you expect? He's got to say that. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, I just, I said, well, I said, that's, you know, what I wanted to say is, so, so did you work on the Challenger shuttle? Is that, you know, um, because <laughs> it, it's like, all right, I'm just going to leave it be. But a seed basically had been planted. Now, whether it was planted on good soil or among the rocky, on the rocky, not up to me. That's the Holy Spirit's job to, to bear fruit from the seed. But a seed was planted because he could not answer my question, and he knew it. But all you can do in those instances, Joe, is just say, I find this very, very disconcerting that someone who goes by the Bible alone is not willing to look at scripture verses straight out of the Bible. That's kind of shocking to me. Right. And just leave it at that. Or here's another thing that once saved, always saved, you know, Luke chapter 15, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. This is how you, you can get it. You can get them not so much by stating something as by asking something. Because when you state something, you're not demanding a reply from them. When you ask something, I'm, I'm asking for a reply, a response. So, Joe, on that same topic, once saved, always saved, you ask somebody, say, hey, you know you know the parable of the prodigal son, right? Yeah, the, the son was in his father's house. So in, in, in fa the, the father in this story is analogous to God the father, right? They'll agree. He's saying the son at the beginning of the parable is in his father's house. So he's, he's saved, right? Generally, they say, yeah, he's saved. He's in his You can't be in God the Father's house if you're unsaved. But then what happens? He gets his inheritance. Okay? Takes it, squanders it with sin through sin, repents, comes back to the Father. What does the Father say? For this is my son, and he was dead, but he is alive again. You put that in 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 uh, salvation terms. He was he was alive in his father's house, so he's saved. He goes and sins, squanders his inheritance of eternal life, which is every Christian's inheritance. So he's dead. The father says he was dead, so he's unsaved. 
Then the father says, once he converts and he repents and comes back, turns back to the father, he's alive again. So he's dead, alive, he's alive, dead, alive again, saved, unsaved, saved again. And you say, so was the prodigal son saved in his father's house when he was in his father's house? He can't answer it. Right. Because if he says yes, then you say, well, then he was saved, unsaved, saved again. If he says no, you say he was in his father's house and he's not saved, really? And so by asking the question, though, you're demanding a response. And you just well, you ask the question, you just look at it. One thing I would say, John Martignoni, is this. Um, the Catholic Church, everybody I listen to, okay, listening to you, listening to others out there, okay, we don't—the Bible is something that obviously is a is a pillar of the faith. It's it's one of the three-legged stools along with tradition, uh, magisterial teaching of the church. So we obviously we take the Bible very seriously. It's not something that we say, ah, that's not important the way some evangelicals try to suggest, okay? But we, but everybody who I've listened to on the Bible who's Catholic takes each part of Scripture and takes it for the style it was written in. As an example, Genesis is not an historical narrative. Genesis is more of an of an of an allegory. Okay, that's not to say our first parents didn't exist. I'm not trying to ex suggest that. I'm saying, but but no, the Earth did not was not created in six days. But the Church understands that the writer is trying to tell us something through. The story, the story's true, okay? But we look at it different. Other parts were with King David. King David was an historical figure. You're teaching a history, a history of the uh, of the, of the Jewish people, okay? So, but, but the and 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 we could do that, and we know when to take things literally. Here's my larger point: we know when to take things at its word as it's written, and know when there's something else going on. Why do I say that? The Eucharist. The Eucharist is my biggest thing. I have never heard more stretching and straining from evangelicals or Protestants when it comes to trying to get around from the fact, and this is my argument, and I want your comments, John. Jesus says, Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. They're all waiting for him to clarify that. Rather than, okay, again, John, correct me if I'm wrong, rather than clarifying, he doubles down, like when you're at the blackjack table and you double down, okay? <laughs> yeah. He doubles down. And he says, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you, and 5,000 walk away from him, okay? What part of that can modern evangelicals not take literally? Because it seems to me, again, common sense, if they walked away, that means that they took him seriously, and they didn't like it. Yeah, and why, why did they say it was a hard teaching if it's symbolic? You know, and they walked away. Protestants will say, oh, you know, in verse 63, he says, uh, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. See, he was speaking spiritually or symbolically. Well, it was after that that they walked away. Well, <laughs> you know, so he, they walked away from his symbolic explanation because it was a hard to really. How many Protestants do you know have ever gone to a Protestant church where they had the Lord's Supper, you know, maybe once a quarter or, or once a year, whatever and they walked away when they found out they have to symbolically eat Jesus's flesh and symbolically drink his blood. Zero, none, never happened because symbolically it's not a hard teaching. But here's the thing. So, so you're absolutely right, that passage. But here's what I'm gonna clue you in on. This is one of the things in my book. My book has two sections. 
The first section is looking at Protestantism as a whole. The second section, and it's called Problems with Protestantism. The second section is called Questions Protestants Can't Answer. I've got 30 questions in there. Protestants can't, I mean, they can give an answer. But again, the answer either contradicts scripture or it contradicts their theology, if they answer honestly and directly. One of those questions is about John 6.51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So I'm going to demonstrate this with you, Joe. Jesus says the bread which he wants us to eat is the bread that he will give for the life of the world and that it's his flesh. When did Jesus give his flesh for the life of the world? Last Supper. Last Supper. But when did he really give his flesh? When he was crucified. On the cross. Was the body on the cross real or was it symbolic? No, it was pretty it was real. real. Yeah. You know what most Protestants, 100% will say on the cross is when he gave his flesh for the life of the world. Then when I say, was it real or symbolic flesh on the cross, real or symbolic blood shed on the cross, half of them will pause. <laughs> you know why? Because they just know the trap they walked into. If they say it was real, then Jesus is talking about us eating his real flesh that he gave on the cross for the life of the world. And in verses 52, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, he's talking about his real flesh that he gave on the cross for the life of the world. If they say he, it was symbolic, you say, oh, really? It was his symbolic flesh on the cross? Are you kidding? So half of them will answer, and they'll say, oh, yeah, it was real. And then they kind of stop because they realize what they just said. The other half won't answer because they realize, well, I'm in a bit of a conundrum here. And probably about a third or two thirds to two thirds of the time they go, well, yeah, well, well, you worship Mary. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Get right off that subject. That's... Exactly. Let's change yep. the subject. Yep. John Martignoni is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Priscilla, Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing John's new book, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism. Please go out and buy it. Listen to it, read read the whole thing, um, and you could get that at Sophia Press. I'm going to hand it over to Joe John, but I would say this: I think that Protestants have some legitimate criticisms of of the actions of Catholics over the course of centuries. Men in the Church, I think some of those criticisms are legitimate. I think we should be open to that and understand the rationale for that. But what I also think at the same token, because I do think we're open-minded, I think we're the most self-critical organization, institution in the history of mankind. We always reflect and reform. We have, and history proves that out. They should be open-minded to the things that you're saying. And understand, we're not saying this because, look, we gain nothing by saying, hey, gotcha. Hey, gotcha. You know how we gain as the members of the body of Christ? When you understand that you have an errant theology and you come into the in full communion with the Catholic Church. That's what we pray for. Joe Restinello. John, you were talking about the Eucharist. So were you, Joe P. And I want to talk about that because the sacraments, that's what keeps me in the church. I'll never leave the church because of the sacraments. Protestants aren't aware of that. And many people who leave, frankly, don't know Jesus in the Eucharist because if you did, you never would. No matter what happens, you're not going to leave. Why do I bring this up? 
a few years ago, Rick Warren, great guy, does great things, not knocking him, wrote a book, The Purpose Driven Life. He lays out a lot of great things. I read the book. Um, what I would say to people is this, and this is what I say when I you know, basically try to evangelize people, even Catholics, practicing Catholics, you can't do what Jesus asked of you without the sacraments. You simply can't because you are you. One thing I know about me, John, I know who I am. I'm going to tell you that right now. And I am a sinner. I tell it to everybody. I know who I am. I also know what I have to do. I have five kids and a wife and that's hard. And if I don't stick to the sacraments, to prayer, to fasting, to almsgiving, I have the show. I have nothing to say. If I don't do those things, I can't be a husband, I can't be a father, and I can't live the Catholic faith without a sacramental life. And Protestants don't know that. You see, they say a lot of good things, and I'll agree with them up and down the block. What I'd say to them is this, try doing them without the grace of the sacraments. How can you? Answer me there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. Well, you can't. And <clears throat> excuse me. Actually, a lot of Protestants will say, you know, oh yeah, Jesus said keep the ten, keep the commandments to the rich young man in Matthew 19. He said, but then they'll say, well, but Jesus knew that that's really impossible to do. Uh, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say all things are possible with God in the in this book here? Uh, well, you know, but it's it's really impossible to to keep all the commandments, and it's impossible to. To not do this or or to do that or you know, it's like, have you heard of grace? Like like you said, have you heard of grace? But there's something in them, instinctually that knows, without the sacraments, you can't do those things. Absolutely, but they won't admit that it's you can't do it without the sacraments, but that you can do it with the sacraments. That it, it's still difficult. But I mean, I tell people all the time, I say, look, you know, Peter talks about how those of us who are in the church, that judgment comes to us first and that we are, we might be barely saved. I was like, if we're barely saved and we have all the sacraments and we've got the, the communion of saints, we've got all the saints as our prayer partners and we've got all these other treasures of the Catholic church and we're barely saved. Pity those poor folks outside of the, the the boundaries of the Catholic Church who don't have the sacraments, who don't have the prayer partners, who are denying the teachings of Jesus Christ that the Catholic Church teaches and brings to the, throughout the world. Pity those poor people because I'm not saying they aren't saved, but if it's difficult for a practicing devout Catholic to be saved, how much more difficult for those without the sacraments? That's why it's incumbent upon us as, as Catholics to not only live and practice our faith so that we can be saints and thereby be more effective witnesses, but it's incumbent upon us to share that faith at every opportunity. You don't have to force it. You just have to, you know, wait for your opportunity. And when given the opportunity, take the opportunity. I, I always tell people, Joe and Joe, that there are two jobs you have in this life. Just two. Everybody has the same two jobs. Get to heaven, take as many people with you as possible. That's it. We have to have that much. 
Protestants, one thing that Protestants have over on us is the concern for other people's souls. I've had a Protestant tell me before within 60 seconds of meeting me, you know, oh, hey, I'm, I'm John. Yeah, I'm Jim. Uh, Jim says, John, where do you go to church? Our Lady of Sorrows. Oh, you're Catholic. Yeah. You know all Catholics are going to hell, right? Hmm. 60 seconds. Not even 60 seconds. Probably 30 seconds. I just got a big smile on my face. This man had a concern for my soul. Now, he's ignorant of my faith. He's ignorant of what I believe, why I believe it. But he had a concern for my soul. And that's what every Catholic should have for everyone in their sphere of influence, whether they're Catholic, non-Catholic, whatever. Concern for people's souls should drive us in our daily, our soul and the souls of others. John, I'm going to hand it over to Joe uh, in a second. I would say this. Talk about the need. I, 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 Joe and I, on a number of different levels, we talk about a bunch of different things. We talk about mostly Catholic things here at Veritas. On our podcast, we do that also, but we get into politics and culture. John, we know we're right. That's not arrogance, okay? I'm, I, I don't want to come across as being arrogant. We know we're right. We know that we're right in the politics because we see the nonsense that's going on. We know that our culturally, our culture is is rotten to the core. We know our faith is right. Okay, when do we go on the offensive? Why are we always defending, John? I'm tired of defending. I don't want to defend. You need to de- look. I'm not saying that people, the your rank of your blue collar Protestant, uh, is a liar, but they certainly certainly believe in things that are not true that they cannot prove okay uh on any level and some of the things we've been talking about when on earth as catholics as americans as sane people because it seems like we've lost our sanity when do we start going on the offensive say don't point your finger at me asking me to explain myself you have to explain yourself whether that's the atheist the protestant the communist or whoever it might be john well, I agree 100%, Joe. Uh, the, the church needs to be on the offense. But again, it's what, like what I said earlier, the church, so many in the, uh, in the leadership of the church are afraid of offending people. I had a bishop that uh, I wanted to send a catechism of the Catholic Church to every Protestant minister in the diocese. And the bishop was saying, no, no, I can't do it. Year after year, I'd bring it to five years. After five, I said, I'm not taking no for an answer. Well, it'll cost too much. I've got the money in my budget. We can do it over several years. I can get donations, no problem. Well, half of them, half of the people will throw them away. Oh, that's awesome. Half of them will keep the catechism. And he said, I said, what is it? I don't want to offend anybody. I said, as a bishop, they're already offended by our very existence. Okay. Nobody is going to be offended by receiving a catechism as a gift for their reference library. That's, that's not already offended by the Catholic Church. I said, you are not the bishop of 120,000 Catholics in Alabama. You're the bishop of 2.4 million people in North and Central Alabama. And they deserve to hear what we have to offer. That's why I've done billboard campaigns in Birmingham and Huntsville. With, uh, one of them was just the Catholic Church, AD 33 dash. That's all it was. We've been here since 33 AD, and we're still here, and we're going to be here till the end. You know, we're the original. And then one of the billboards had the Virgin Mary, and it said, Mary, dot, 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 mother of God, question mark. And then it gave BibleChristianSociety.com slash Mary. 
And the Protestants were going, yeah, somebody's questioning Mary is the mother of God. There were thousands of thousands of people coming to the website. And the, the Protestants are saying, oh, whoa, this is Catholic. And the Catholics are going, you know, if they don't know who I am in the Bible Christian side, they're going, how dare they attack? And they're coming to the website going, oh, wait a minute. This is apologetics for Mary is the mother of God. It was uh, the, the response I got. People were stopping me in stores, grocery stores, saying, did you put those billboards up? Yeah, that was me. You know, I'm kind of like, which way do I answer, you know? Yeah, that was, that was awesome. Catholics were so excited. And that's what our, our leadership needs to understand. If they would go on the offensive, the Catholics would show up in droves to back them, to support them financially, to support them, you know, physically. What help do you need? What can I do? It would be awesome, and it's exactly, exactly what our country needs right now. No, John, listen, we couldn't agree with you more, um, and that's hopefully one of the things that we're helping to accomplish, that in the future we can be more of a cohesive unit in this spiritual battle, in the culture war. John Martignoni joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, we're discussing his new book, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism. Please go buy it at Sophia Press. Joe Resinello, we probably have time for one more topic or question wherever you want to go. Quick comment, <clears throat> then I'll go to the topic. We got to get out of the boat, John. Jesus was a radical, the most revolutionary man on the earth. We got to get out of the boat, particularly Catholic men. And that's what you did, and you'll bear the most fruit by doing that. And sometimes that goes against conventional wisdom. Christ said, throw the, the net on the other side. They're like, no, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. I'm not listening to you. No, they said, fine. I'm going to do what you said. Boom. They bought, They got fruit. They got fish. Uh, that's the way to do it. Eucharistic adoration. I'm going to go back to the Eucharist. When all arguments fail, this is my bet to people, atheists, Protestants, all arguments fail all logic, all statements, all truth laid out perfectly with precision fails. This is what I say to people. Go to the Eucharist. Go to adoration. Sit in front of the Eucharist and say these words. I don't believe in you, but I want to help me. Do that for five minutes a week and walk out of the church. My bet, I'll bet you anything. I'll bet anyone who listens to me everything I own. I don't have a lot, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> everything. If you do that, you'll believe that Jesus is in that Eucharist and you will be Catholic and you will never leave that church. Your thoughts. Eucharistic adoration is, is where, like everything I do, you know, eat, sleep, live and breathe is to bring people to the Eucharistic Christ. Okay, to get them to eventually be in a position to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And, and I tell people, Eucharistic adoration. When I was out of the church for 13 years, my dad was going to Eucharistic adoration every Monday morning at 4 a.m. for years, praying for me and my brothers and sisters to come back to the church. And I tell people, he set in motion a chain of grace through his Eucharistic adoration that brought me back into the church because some really weird things happened that got me back into the church, you know, real strange coincidences. Uh, yeah, they no, not really coincidences. So Eucharistic adoration, there is power there, incredible power. And yeah, if you can get somebody, and, and as a Catholic, like I said, tell them, say, look, just go sit in front of the tabernacle. And we believe it's Jesus. 
you don't have to believe that. Just go and sit there and pray while you're in the chapel or in the church in front of the tabernacle. Just pray. Or, hey, I'm going to Eucharistic Adoration Monday night at 7. Why don't you come with me? Just come with me just one time. Just one time. Just, you know, you can bring your own car. You can be there for five, ten minutes, like you said. Get them there. Get them in front of Jesus in the Eucharist. It is powerful. It has an impact. So, yes, I agree 100% with what you were saying there, Joe. Yeah, I mean, and and I, you know, I've taken a, a page out of Joe's book. Joe makes the time. I will say that about Joe. He and his wife, they make the time to get there. So even in their busy lives, like Joe always says, you know, like, you know, two, two, two parents working, five kids, they make the time to get there. My wife, um, you know, I, I work nights, unfortunately, so I get there a little bit more sporadically. My wife and our foster son, who say a prayer for us, John, that he becomes our legal son in the next couple of months. We're very, awesome. very close. Um, they go to adoration every week. They 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 go down to St. Bernadette here in in, in Scottsdale and, and they go in front every week. You got if you want to, you can, is the yeah. point. You gotta make and as Joe mentioned earlier, and it, it's something we didn't really get into too much, but we're gonna have to go now, is that hey, you wanna get people into the church, make sure that you're living a good life, make sure you're living a Christian life okay and the way to do that of course adoration is going to help you a great deal when it comes to that along with prayer and everything else Absolutely. john martignoni one more time where where can where's your website and where can folks buy the book a blue collar answer to protestantism website is biblechristiansociety.com lots of free audio lots of free written materials there on apologetics evangelization you can get the book a blue collar answer to protestantism at sophia institute sophiainstitute.com. John, let me say this is a great conversation. Joe and I, I know I could speak for Joe. We are very proud to count you amongst our friends, and we're always grateful that you come on the show. Uh, aside from being informed, we always have a great time with you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, same, same from me to you guys. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll make good on that over the next few months and we'll make sure we have you back. Thank you again out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, follow us on social media. We're all over the place. Rumble, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, help us out. Click a button that's going to help us get our message out there. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>